Podcast, we will be discussing issues that are related to mental health, trauma, and grief. Hi there! The actual interview will start in about five minutes. First, Anne will tell us some more about the Wellbeing Weeks series in general, together with a member of the Wellbeing Committee. Enjoy! Welcome to our very first episode dedicated to student wellbeing. For the next four weeks, our podcast IS Essentials is collaborating with the Student Wellbeing Committee and the AMFM Radio Club to create a series of four podcast episodes all about mental health. For some years now, Leiden University has been organizing the so-called Student Wellbeing Weeks. This year, they will be held from the 18th of January until the 14th of February. The program offers a variety of activities to improve students' mental and physical health. As you may have already guessed, due to current circumstances, the majority of the program will be held online this time around. But despite COVID, there are a ton of activities, and with this podcast series, we want to contribute something as well. For every episode, we are going to interview either professionals or people with first-hand experience to shed light on important mental health issues. Just to give you an idea of the topics we want to discuss in the following weeks, in this very episode, we are going to learn about overcoming hardship and building resilience. Next week, we want to discuss loneliness. And in our third week, we are going to talk about sexual violence. Finally, in our very last episode, we want to discuss mindfulness. Hopefully, our interviews can offer insight and spark discussion around mental health issues. But before we get to today's interview, I want to talk to Kendra from the Wellbeing Committee. So, Kendra, what are the Wellbeing Weeks all about and what are they looking like this year? And thank you so much for having me today. So, yeah, basically this year you can expect a range of fun activities. So it ranges from sports like dancing and walking to karaoke to workshops, for example, such as changing habits on the power of perspective which is my favorite where you get a unique chance to reflect on your life and you also get the opportunity to meet an inclusion refugee student and a buddy who shares their story and their perspective and how it can help you in your daily life mm-hmm. this year due to covid everything is going to be online right so i was wondering if there are any special activities addressing student well-being during covid yes definitely so it's very uncertain as you may know um, especially in the Netherlands, there's changes every couple of weeks. So we're working based on that. There are some activities which we hope that we can continue to do in person, such as walking um, in groups. Um, but this may be narrowed down either to a couple of people, if this is still a possibility, or shifted online, which is still great. And it can allow us for to gain an international outreach. Me and myself, I'm in the UK right now. So I think this is a great way to uh, have an outreach to all of the students worldwide. And yeah, so some activities that are specifically targeted to well-being during COVID are workshops such as uh, sleeping well. I know that right now these times of uncertainty can cause a lot of anxiety and these can be translated to insomnia. 
So I think this is a very important workshop. Also on dealing with loneliness and speed dating, which is paired with this. We also have others ranging to cooking. So either a cooking class or sharing recipes and also in the power of positive positivity. So well-being and just learning about positive psychology and keeping your balance. Okay, so it sounds like the program is really made in a way so that like most people can access it, even if they're abroad. Yes. Then I guess the most important question is where can people sign up for these activities? Yep, so we have been trying to reach out through our social media and WhatsApp platforms as much as possible through students. But of course, you can also go to the university website and just search for Student Wellbeing Weeks, and then you'll get a full list of the program, and you can just click on the individual activities and sign up to whatever you're interested in. Okay, and from what I understand, you can sign up up until the activities are full, right? Yes, so please bear in mind that these will register and be full super fast. So just register as soon as you can and you'll be able to get your spot. Okay, well, thank you very much for explaining some practical things and hopefully creating some clarity. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first podcast of a series that will be released in regard with the Wellbeing Weeks. In today's podcast, I, Elena, hi, nice to meet you, will be having a conversation with Sazan about well-being. She is an experienced project manager and coordinator of projects related to the protection of refugees, human rights, more specifically women's rights, and many other causes. Sazan has dealt with, for example, the UNHCR, UNICEF, and various NGOs. Currently, she has applied for asylum in the Netherlands. We are very interested in Sazan's perspective on mental health, both as a professional and as a refugee. And we are so grateful that Sazan wants to be here with us today to create this podcast for you guys. Hello, this is Elena speaking from the future uh, because I already recorded the podcast, but I wanted to give a little more info on the content so you kind of know what to expect and hopefully what to look forward to while you listen. So here we go. We will talk about how the path that you choose does not have to be the obvious one and how she found the strength to persist during difficult times and how she still does. We will also discuss her upbringing and her association with mental health and how it changed as she grew older. Uh, we will talk about her loved ones and the importance of having a passion uh, in the field that she worked in and her perspective on her current situation as an asylum seeker, but most importantly, as a person with a history, with knowledge and experience and many more. <laughs> but I won't review everything just yet. Uh, so keep on listening. So now let's start with the conversation. Welcome, Sazan. Welcome, Elena. Nice to meet you. Thank you for your uh, nice introduction you did. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Yes, I wanted to make sure that I uh, introduced you in the right way, so I'm happy to hear that. Um, and thank you so much for being here today and your willingness to share your knowledge and experience with us and our listeners, of course. Um, so first of all, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Fine. Yeah. The sun has been shining uh, yesterday. Did you also get some sun? Yesterday, no. I went today for a very small trip. 
Oh, for a walk also. Yeah, it's it was walking like uh, one hour. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah, whenever in the winter here, we have to get out and get catch some sun whenever we can. <laughs> yeah. First, what I want to talk about with you is I'm a student and most of our listeners are students too. And we are at a time in our life where we are trying to figure out uh, what our professional future will look like. So what will be what we will be doing with our lives, basically. Um, and this is a time of gradually choosing our paths, which is exciting, but also stressful sometimes. Um, therefore, I was wondering, what was that process like for you as a student and finding out which profession uh, you eventually wanted to carry out? Okay, to start with, um, I studied English literature uh, from Damascus University. But after I graduated, I I started I volunteered with an organization, and from there I started really uh, change like the path of another studying for something that I want actually. Does it mean that you really followed your gut feeling and passion and where you felt that your kind of purpose was at? Exactly. Um, I was thinking that. I doesn't want um I didn't want to go for um something that I don't want. So I chose to volunteer uh, with one women's organization and after working uh volunteering for like one year then I decided what I need exactly for uh studying path for MA. Then you continued yeah. to do uh, your masters? Yes, I yeah, yeah. Then uh, after working, I feel that this is what the job that I want to to continue on. So I think it's um, at that time that this is the moment I need to uh, to have like some degree related to what I uh, want to work. So at that time, I decided that I need uh, to do a master in human rights and human development. Oh, wow. That sounds really interesting. Um, and after you got your degree in that specific field, then you actually had to find a job, I think, um, that was related to your master's degree, or how did that go? Actually, um, it's not, I didn't uh, start searching for a job uh, when I applied for the master. I keep, uh, I was moved from voluntary uh, phase in that organization to an employee. So I start managing proje projects there, but because I um, even in uh, when I was volunteering, it was also something related to project management. So I decided no, I need to have a, a degree uh, to be professional of the thing. It's not just uh, start being an employee. So I decided to go to the MA and to have a full time job. So I started uh, my full-time job in 2007 uh, and I stayed with them uh, almost about seven years. Whoa. Then I started to move uh, for like other um, international organization or UN agencies. That is really impressive how you both got your master's degree while actually having a job and th that must have been quite intensive sometimes right also because the field that you were working in is 
not only you don't only invest time in your job, but also emotionally, it can sometimes be difficult to um, to process everything that you've seen and the stories that you've heard and the people that you've met. Yeah, it's very true, actually. Even for the timing, like uh, starting with the timing, like uh, my job was uh, from eight until uh, three, uh, half past three. And then my university was starting from five until nine. So actually I had like uh, every day, like almost a full day of uh, being out. And for the master, as as you are aware, that you need a lot of research, a lot of readings as well. It's not just attending lectures. You are at a phase of a researcher more than like a, a normal student. Plus, as you are saying, working in the field of human rights protection, uh, refugees protection, it's uh, you are dealing with people with different backgrounds, with different trauma that you need to deal with it and you need to be yourself and you need to be happy as well you don't need uh, you you are uh, there to support so you are not allowed at any moment to feel collapse when the, you, are, you are trying to to support so that also um gave me also a way to do a kind of a lot of self-care things related to my well-being as well Yes, I definitely, um, hearing you talk about that makes me realize, as you said, that you are, when you're working there, you are there for support. So you are the one who has to be calm and, uh, and, and stable, which is sometimes not that human-like uh, under these circumstances. So I definitely, seems logical to me that you indeed had to learn how to adapt to, uh, yeah, to dealing with your emotions and um, to to make sure that you take good care of yourself and your energy right yeah um, and actually also working with the organization or non-profit uh, organization help a lot and even with UN or international organization help a lot because also uh, they have a specific kind of a programs for the employees as well for the self well uh, well-being self-care or well-being so we were had like uh, every three months we should have a kind of a day of some kind of stress relief for trainings or for doing some kind of activities and that was very helpful because like as you are saying working it's it's um with refugees and with people in need need a lot of effort need a lot of support but it's it's not as you are saying it's not a, hu- a human that you cannot all the time you should be if you agree to work on that field for me it wasn't just a job actually because if i want to go for a job i would go for other kind of fields totally different but for me i was working for something that i have a passion to yes i i have passion i believe in i feel that i by uh, supporting um, children and women, other refugees, that also uh, give me, empower me, actually, as well. So for me, it wasn't just a job. If you are thinking in that way, um, it's totally different than thinking in the employee mentality that I'm just have like seven hours working and that's it. 
it's totally different. I think what makes your perspective even more interesting um, is giving your work experience and then the situation that you are in right now um, because you had to flee and uh, we talked about this before because we of course had some meetings um, that a lot of the employees that are working um, at the place where you are staying right now they have a very different view on working with refugees than your view on working with refugees and the passion that you have um, so it must be such a bizarre situation to first have been helping refugees and now being one yourself yeah to start with i will say that like the decision of coming um for um, for europe and asking for uh, asylum seeker for myself it was a very difficult uh, decision as i'm saying um i was in a very good like uh, position I had like everything at home, so I wasn't thinking myself that I will be uh, one day that I'm going to ask to be uh, for asylum seeker. Mm. I came to Europe many times for studying, for training, for uh, work, but never imagined that I will uh, ask for asylum seeker. So it was a very huge, um, let's say, psychological burden that uh, to accept. The fact, but due to the fact to some kind of circumstances that uh, pushed me to and my husband in order to take that decision. So when I came, I'm I'm saying this because like I'm already mm-hmm. have already burden of or um, to make that difficult decision, right? Yeah, it's a difficult for me uh, to think of myself as a refugee. So that will make me more sensitive, actually. Um, when anyone is going to deal with me as a refugee, because I have this background, because I have like um, this kind of position, this high, uh, this kind of education. So this was my position exactly was difficult, was more sensitive, let's say, than maybe other who it's, it was more easier. Uh, so when I came here, yeah, many people, um, because I work in that field, I know how it should it should be done. So I can, in a way, see uh, that many employees are not um, doing this job as a belief. It's not coming like because they want to to help. It's not. It's like a kind of a job. It's a kind of um, something for the income, like any other job. And for my point of view, uh, like working in some uh, in such sensitive uh, jobs, they need a special kind of trained people who has passion to do it, because um, it's different actually. It's, it's you are not dealing, uh, you are not working as a banking. You are not dealing with some kind of goods. You are dealing with traumatized people so you need to have a special kind of a training a special kind of a perspective so you yeah. can uh, help them in more efficiently let's say so uh, and once actually i had a kind of uh, talk with one of employees and he told me that um, no we don't have any kind of a training we don't have any kind even of 
a self-care or a kind of well-being activities for the employees. We are just have one week to, to be introduced for the system. And I was shocked. And he told me, no, because for us, it's, it's more like a job. It's not like something that maybe it's his own perspective, but also it's reflecting yeah. how people are being employed in this kind of position for me at least this is how I receive it no of course um like I'm asking you for your experience and um we can of course not generalize uh it yeah sure um but I found it really important to uh to highlight this um because I especially since I said you have a really rare perspective um and therefore I wanted to talk about it and to uh yeah, hear about your, your view on that. Um, now, a little something else. We we are going a bit, uh, we're going not way back, but uh, back to you as a child, basically, or teenager. Um, I was wondering, mental health is a broad topic. It is a term that is often used, um, but it means something different maybe to everyone. Um and I was really interested in hearing about what your own term, what your own association is with the term. So, growing up in your home country, was it a topic that was being discussed, um, maybe at school or with friends or with your family? Okay, um, maybe when I was a child, as I, um, I as I remember, as a concept, I've never heard it as a concept. Let's say, but. Uh, Maybe because when I grow up and uh, working in this field, I realize the concept. So if I'm going back now just to uh, trying to analyze the way that my mom raised us, uh, it has a lot of a perspective on uh, mental health. My mom, uh, she was a social worker. So maybe she has that on in her mind while, while she was raising us, but like, uh, using the, maybe the terminology was not there, let's say. <laughs> it's a kind of, uh, of a way that she, she was raised up. I was aware about the concepts uh, of well-being when I started working. So uh, because maybe uh, this field I was working, it has a lot of focus on, uh, on this concept. So I have a lot of depth things Um Many programs I coordinated or managed were have like uh, a social, uh, um, an art therapy or a focus group therapy or many, many focus on the mental health. So I was aware about the concept later on um, as, as um, it should be like something important as any other thing. Every human being has to overcome obstacles in life. Um, you have faced situations that can have a deep impact on your mental health, uh, as we're using the concept again. <laughs> um, how did you and do you still find the motivation to keep pursuing your goals and to keep believing in yourself? Yeah. Actually, I will um, start from the last one, which is like the situation of being asylum seeker. This caused a lot of burden, as I mentioned, a lot of uh, uncertain 
the feeling of uncertainty, the feeling of um, being fear of uh, the future, what's going on, about the situation itself, the confusion, everything. So one of the coping mechanisms I did, uh, I was... Um, and because I don't want people to uh, focus on me as asylum seeker, so I was searching for another title, actually. For that, I was start searching for something related to studying. Uh, and by uh, searching, I uh, found the inclusion program, actually. And it gave me, like, a relief, in a way, because in, in that way, um, I spent a lot of time uh, doing um, preparing for the lectures, for the courses, communicating with the, the students, with, uh, reading materials, other things. But the most important thing that make make me more relaxed uh, that when I'm being asked uh, by people, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm studying." So uh, in a way, it's a kind of coping mechanisms that make me more uh, stressless, let's say, in a way, and accepting the situation, the new situation. Yes, I definitely um, un could understand, like could imagine, of course, since I'm not in your situation. Um, but you are a person with a history you are a person with knowledge you studied you you worked um and therefore the title as refugee or asylum uh, seeker uh, that's not enough to describe a person so saying like i'm studying uh, as you are like you're of course actually doing that but that also feels so much more natural i think to you but also uh to others and um, what I uh, think is really impressive is um, well your situation is is difficult and um, you have to deal with a lot of things but still you are again volunteering also uh, here in the Netherlands um, yes. actually to help others could you tell us some more about that and is it also a part of coping with your situation Yes, it is a part of a coping mechanism, uh, like finding um, other organizations that need help or support, as well as because, as I said, that it was um, work. I worked like eleven years in the um, field of uh, project management, so it's a kind of a passion. Also, that I like uh, volunteering. I like uh, doing some activities with with people. I like the interactive way. I like the feeling that I can be um, mm -hmm. helpful or support other. Uh, as I as I said that usually dealing with uh, um, like refugees or it gave you more strength in your uh, well being. So I uh, I start to search and I found uh, I'm volunteering now with two organizations. One is called English uh, um, Academy for a newcomer for newcomers and it's um, and specified as its, its name providing a kind of a professional English courses for the newcomers uh, from a background who has already known English but they need a kind of a support 
like IELTS and other certificates so they can continue uh, their studying or professions. So I'm volunteering with them as project manager, uh, coordinator now. And I'm volunteering with another organization. Um, they are called Team Up. They are um, funded by World Child and Save the Children. And they do a kind of uh, um, a kind of structure activities, uh, taking care of the well-being of the children. So we do a kind of um, games. Let's say we have like a game go, a game uh, book as a guidance, and uh, it's a kind uh, providing a structured kind of games to those children according to to topics actually. So would you say that we can conclude um, that if you're in a situation that is difficult and you want to find positivity, you want to find a way to keep your energy up and to find motivation, that um, you should try to find a purpose uh, in that situation where you can still use your strengths. Because given that you are volunteering as a project manager, that is your profession as well. Um, so it's it's something that you are good at, that you have experience in, uh, it's, it's your expertise and you are using those capabilities and, and your knowledge to actually um, to actually uh, help others here. While at the same time, it's also helping you to deal mm -hmm. with the uncertainty of the situation. Yeah, actually, if you just... Uh, leave yourself for the negative ideas then you are just collapse more you need to uh, to find for the positive things always wherever they are so you need to focus um, no I still can do something even in uh, I'm in a weak position of asylum seeker but still um, if I search very well I will find something to, to do I can add some kind of value to the society it's not just I I'm not coming to do like to be like a burden for the country or something no I have like special circumstances that force me to to flee but I still have some strength point that I can help as well thank you that was what I was looking for indeed adding value bringing value to the society um, I think it's wonderful that you have found the strength and, as you said, to focus on the positive things. Um, I think it says a lot about you as a person and I just wanted to say that I really respect it. Thank you. Before we go on to the next question, I would like to elaborate on the concept of building resilience. First, I would like to clarify that I am, of course, not a professional and therefore I consulted sources such as the American Psychology Association, the International Society for Traumatic Stress Studies and BMC, Psych and BMC Psychiatry. Resilience is an individual's ability to maintain or regain his, her or their mental health in the face of significant adversity, traumatic experiences, uh, tragedy and threats. Building resilience involves recovery, and it can also involve profound personal growth. Having built resilience does not mean that a person won't experience difficulty or distress. It's about healthy, adaptive functioning over the passage of time in the aftermath of adversity. However, it's important to note that it is a complex construct. 
It may be defined differently in the context of individuals, families, organizations, societies, and cultures. Having all of this said, I wanted to ask Suzanne the following. In your past, you may have experienced situations uh, that were traumatic. I'm sorry that you had to go through that, and I very appreciate how you are willing to talk about this part of your life. In what ways have you been able to build resilience? Okay. Maybe one of the situations I can mention is like when my father did, passed away. Um, I was very near to him. So when, um, and he was like the, um, uh, opening the, the word to me. So he was like the objective that, um, I'm studying for. So I was, I wasn't that, uh, I was only like 16 years old. So yeah, I was at the secondary school still. So, um, uh, for it took me for like two or three years uh, not accepting and it's like building the resilience cannot be passed until you um, feel uh, like go to a phase of acceptance uh, you need to accept the situation first believe that it happened but uh, in order to move on uh, so it took with me like two or three years in order to accept that. Um, and uh, because he was like the motivation for studying for me and for doing everything. Actually, I can, uh, when I listen to you talk about your relationship with your father, I am also thinking about my own relationship with my uh, father for a bit. Um, and I must say that I understand you and he's also... Uh, a, a big motivation for me to do well in studying um, given that he always believes in my potential and and maybe you could also talk about your uh, talk with your father about your interest and, and maybe a political interest <laughs> I see you nodding so <laughs> yeah um, you you share sometimes yeah. you share passions with your parents and they support you in in your passion um, so I definitely um, could imagine how when when someone sadly passes away uh, there is some sort of loss in your life where you have to find uh, where you have to give that support to yourself now or to find a different source um, and indeed acceptance is sometimes the, the hardest part um, because if you can pretend that it's it, it didn't happen then you won't have to deal with the emotions um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that you can. Uh, yeah, it's as, exactly as you're saying. Like the acceptance, the acceptance part is the most important, the most difficult, and the most important. Because if you don't accept the fact, uh, you don't deal with it, then or you ignore that it happened, then you are in the same place. You are not moving. Actually, you cannot build the resilience. <laughs> So, as I mentioned, it was difficult. So, it took with me like two or three years in order mm -hmm. just to accept the fact that he passed away. So, at that time, I started to follow the university. For that, because uh, maybe because of that, when I entered the college, I wasn't really have uh, some... Um, because at that time, I was like the three years after his past, it was like 
the turning when I need to enter the college. So I didn't really think about how, what to study and why and what the purpose, what the motivation. I just entered the college and yeah. You just uh, started doing something. But after and... that, after I graduated, I find, no, it's not what I want, actually. So I'm starting now to think about the resilience, to build the resilience that I, I need to. Um, so uh, for that, I uh, go around and trying to find something that I can do, I can help, I can support, I can find myself in. Um, so the, the resilience building is becoming like just uh, choosing uh, cho to choose again your path to find what you really uh, good at, what you really ha um, feeling happy when you are doing mm -hmm. it. It's not just as I mentioned, like uh, finding a job. It's it can be anything actually, but to be happy of what you are doing, it's not an easy. So that make you uh, that make a different that make you a different person a different person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that it's so. Um, personally, I I also think a lot about uh, my future and and where I what I want to end up doing. And over the past year, um, I've been trying to follow my intuition more, and I must say that it that it has brought me to uh, to good places to good experiences um, so I will also definitely take your advice at heart uh, that often if you are going in the right uh, going on the right path if you are um, feeling that that it fulfills you right that, that it gives a fulfilling uh, feeling and that you are doing something that you can actually um, in which you can actually be yourself. I just, I found it so um, inspiring to hear you talk about it. And I think what makes it uh, wonderful is how it it's sort of comes full circle. Um, what we talked about in the beginning is how you find your purpose and you have a passion um, uh, for your work. And that's how you actually found out which path you wanted to to take. But on the same uh, at the same time, it was also a way for you to maybe deal with loss. And I think it's it's beautiful how um, how in life your passions and your strength can help you through difficult times um, and how that can help you to build resilience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were almost at the end of our conversation and I asked Sazan uh, whether there was something else that she would like to talk about. She wanted to express her thankfulness uh, in regard with the inclusion programs in which she is participating. Uh, just like uh, giving like a lot of thanks for the inclusion program because also I think it's a very uh, strength point uh, and a very good idea of having such kind of opportunities for uh, refugees or asylum seekers in order to um, to be introduced about like the academic system to be introduced about like uh, the universities 
uh, and the courses, it's, it's really a great chance because as I'm saying that during the waiting process where when you are just do nothing, just waiting and waiting for like, we have a term in, uh, in English literature, it's waiting for go to, which is you are waiting and waiting and you don't know when and what. So it's killing thing. So um, the idea of the inclusion program, it's a very pioneer idea for me and a very help idea to the uh, refugees in a way for the well-being, for the, let's say, for the uh, coping mechanisms. I'm really glad to hear um, that those programs, that they exist and how and what they mean to, to you and to probably many others. And um, like, given that, for instance, I am studying IRO, uh, so I think that topics uh, such as these are a great interest of, um, like, a lot of people are interested in them. And I also hope that, therefore, this conversation um, will maybe inspire for others to, um, if they would like to to work in in the field with with refugees and um, in, in immigrants, that. Those programs that you mentioned, it's it's good to know that they are out there. It's it's good to know that that a start has been made, and and who knows in the future what um, maybe even students from from my specific uh, uh, studies can can add to that. Yeah, and thanks to the department who accept because not every department, as you are saying, are accepting like uh, asylum seeker to be part of their programs. So the doctors or the departments who allow this, it's also they need. Uh, it's our duty to thank them to to have this perspective uh, for the asylum seeker, because as you are saying also, and as I mentioned that there's no other like a kind of well-being programs uh, while waiting. So such kind of a programs, it's a very, for me, it's a very helpful point for the integration. Instead of just uh, sitting and do nothing. So the most programs are being uh, run in order to uh, allow asylum seekers, even if they are in, still in their uh, process, but uh, trying to give them more opportunities to be integrated in the society and to do some kind of activities, the most benefit that the society will, uh, will get out of that. Because um, I will understand more about the Dutch culture, about the Dutch society, about the Dutch uh, academic system, how it goes, how it works. Um, and to feel uh, the most important thing is to, to feel you are belonging to some place. The belo belonging feeling, it's very important for the integration later on. If you don't really pay attention to this, then you are ending with totally foreigners who are going outside uh, to the community without any preparation. I really like how we uh, ended this on a, on a positive note. Uh, yeah. it, it has been, of course, it, it has also been a positive throughout the, um, throughout the podcast, but uh, the things that you just talked about, it offers perspective and uh, I can I can see you luckily we are video calling as well and I can see how when you talk about it um, you actually feel excited about what it is bringing you 
And I think it's wonderful to see that there are people um, in the Netherlands and also, of course, in, in other places, but also here, that are open to giving giving others chances because I think there's so much potential um, and I, you put it really beautifully to feel like you belong I want to thank you so much again for your openness and for this conversation as a whole and it has been so pleasant to be in touch with you um, and, and not only to make this podcast but also for me as a person uh, I feel like I learned a lot from you and you made me think about um, no, you made me think about my own perspectives and uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity and thank you also for your openness Then thank you for the opportunity itself for uh, talking and to be um, thanks also to be so natural actually so it was uh, easy going <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm glad too. Um, I think the the it was nice how we have talked before. Uh, so I I feel comfortable with you, and I hope you feel comfortable with me too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I'm I'm really happy with uh, that. I got to talk to you and that I got to meet you. Thank you. Um. Also, it's my pleasure. Dear listener, we have reached the end of this podcast. You made it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope that it might inspire you or that you can even relate to some parts of our conversation. I would highly recommend to check out all the activities that are being offered during the Wellbeing Weeks. And of course, stay tuned for the upcoming podcasts. Really interesting guest speakers, really interesting topics. Um, so I really hope to have you as our listener again. Bye bye.